Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Everyone awake? Alive? Awesome. Poke your neighbor, make sure. Poke them. Make sure they're awake. Make sure they're not dozing off. Hey, Ben, can I get the lights up just a little bit? I want to be able to see some faces today. In the back. Hey, if we've not met, my name's Tim. Um, I'm the middle school pastor here at 1910. It's awesome working with middle school students. As you can probably guess, as Pastor Chach already said, actually, uh, Pastors Jason and Pastor Angie and Annie, because they do have a daughter, um, they're gone at Pine Cove this week. Um, so it's a week where they get to be poured into, and they're constantly pouring out. So as a church, can we pray for our leaders in that regard and pray that they, uh, they would be poured into, because they constantly pour out for us? And can we show them honor as well when they get back and tell them that we missed them? Because um, I'm sure you will after this message. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Hey, I love Sundays. I love Sundays, and I know it sounds like I have to say that because I'm on staff here, and we primarily work on Sundays and Wednesday nights, but I love Sundays. I love love encountering the Lord, like meeting Him here. I love when our worship team leads us. Um, It's phenomenal. I love seeing you guys out there. It's awesome, but I love love Sundays. I'm going to try to say this as carefully as possible. I love Sundays a lot for what happens after church on Sundays, right? Like, it just seems like there's a heightened sense of everything after church. And you can probably agree with me on this because of after church naps, right? They're completely next level on a Sunday afternoon than they are any other day of the week. Or lunch or brunch, which is just an excuse to have breakfast later on in the day. It's just so much better after church on a Sunday. Um, and this has always kind of been the case. It's like that heightened thing. Um, it's always been a part of my family. Uh, I remember when we lived in rural New Jersey. I was having a hard time with that word earlier today. Also, by the way, I am the middle school pastor, and I guess that means the Lord curses me with voice cracks. So if that happens during this service, pretend like it didn't, because it did last service. Um, We lived in rural New Jersey, uh, Tabernacle, New Jersey, population 2,000. It is way more country than Bernie could ever be. Um, We would go every Sunday to Fellowship Alliance Chapel. And then after church, we would go, my older brother, who is 10 years older than me, and my dad, we would go to our friend's farmland for paintball after church. Um, and on it, he had like this wooded area with like little ridges and valleys and things. And we would play paintball on his field in the afternoon with, you know, 20 to 50 guys from neighboring cities and whatnot. And so it was always so much fun. And it was just what you did after church um, in my family. And I remember this one time, like we would play a bunch of different games there we would, you know, one of the games we would play was called Capture the Fort. Um, it's, it's pretty simple, and it's a fantastic game when the two teams are evenly matched. Like, it's such a fun game when the teams are evenly matched. So what you do is you have, like, one team that is in the fort, and they have a time limit that they're supposed to um, outlive the time limit and not get eliminated by the other team, and you get eliminated if you get hit by paintball. And so there's another team that's trying to take the fort and eliminate everybody in the fort, um, before the time limit's out. And if the team within the fort li- outlives that time limit, then they win, and vice versa for the other team. If they get everyone out in the fort, they win before the time limit. Um, and I remember, I, we were going to play this one day, and I don't know, I don't know if it was maliciously intended or not, like the intent was malicious. Uh, I, I want to believe it was genuine naivete. I want to believe it was sincere ignorance. But the elder statesmen in our group that were playing that day decided that they were going to pit the youngers against the olders and put the younger kids in the fort, and then the older people were going to play the game, capture the fort, and try to get all the kids out. And when I say older versus younger, I mean like I was the oldest and I was like 12, and then there's a bunch of guys who are very experienced 
a lot older, nicer paintball guns, and very accurate compared to us as nine-year-olds like to 12-year-olds, right? And so we go, and I'm leading this ragtag group of misfits that we are going to withhold and, and, and stay within the fort and just hold our ground, our last stand, if you will, a classic underdog story, a real David and Goliath of New Jersey. Um, and we were going to outlive the time limit and do it. And so I get in there, and I, I start giving battle tactics as to what's going to take place because I feel like I'm the most experienced of our team, um, given that there are kids who are still picking boogers and eating them, right? Um, <laughs> And so I go to the right side of the fort and I, I begin to give kind of like orders to this one kid over here. And I'm like, okay, man, like you're going to look at this ridge over here. You're going to watch out for them because they're going to try and sneak up behind that tree and sneak up on us from this right flank. So you're going to want to be paying attention. Call them out when you see them and so on and so on. And I look and I, I check to make sure he's following with me. And then I look and I see him drawing in the ground with a stick. So that's not going to work. Cool, 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 cool. So I go to this other side, and I go on the, the, le- the left side of our fort, and I start talking to this guy. And this time, I'm like making sure he's following with me, right? Like I'm looking at him, looking at what I'm talking about. And I'm like, okay, you got this planed area. Like it's quick. They can sprint down here. They're going to try to call him out when you see him because we'll come help you and make sure you're not on your own. You're following with me. And he's like, how do I turn the safety off on my gun? Cool, 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 cool. That's not going to work because he doesn't even know how to use his gun. And about this time... About this time, I hear on the other side, the dads, the older guys, the the more experienced players start to take their practice shots, and we had set up frying pans as targets to warm up, and they were just pinging them every time, just ping, ping, and like there's, I'm, I'm thinking about the contrast of the groups, like over there, they're crushing it, and over here, like the kids are falling apart, like there's mental breakdowns taking place, one kid's catatonic. Like, he doesn't even remember his own name because he's just so terrified, and he's just in, like, behind a tree, right? And it was about that time that the, the other team, the, the dads and the older guys go, Are you ready? Shout across the field. Are you ready? And I took a look at my surrounding and did not give that same answer. Took a look at the surrounding, and I said, No! As an honest assumption as to where my team was at. The problem with no is that it sounds very similar to go. And I genuinely, in my heart of hearts, believe that they heard me say no, but there was enough plausible deniability where they could say they heard go. Either way, the game was on at that point. And so I start hearing them running. They're calling out things. I start hearing paintballs whiz by. I pull down my mask, right? Like, we're getting to go. And like I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, this is the worst. This is going to be utter chaos. And what followed was exactly that. Paintballs are flying all over the place. They're hitting the ground, dirt spraying up. Kids are crying. One kid's in the fetal position. The kid that was drawing on the ground stood up and just got a headshot immediately, like on his face mask, right? He left. The kid who didn't know how to turn the safety off on his gun decided to just leave the gun on the ground and then promptly leave the game, right? And so it was just utter chaos. And as I'm trying to figure out what's going on, how we're going to salvage this mess and, and, and hold our ground... In this Alamo moment, if you will, I see over the ridge this guy coming up, and he comes up the wall to the fort that I'm defending, and my gun's pointed at the ground, and he's no less than 10 feet away from me, and his gun is pointed directly at me. And with no sense of mercy or grace, this gentleman shoots me dead in the chest, directly in the chest. And I remember being so angry, I was whining, like I left the game, I'm like, I hate this. You guys, I'm tired of this. I don't want to play anymore. I don't like Sundays anymore. And like, I'm like, forget about you guys. I'm going to go sit on the truck bed and just wait. You guys can play the rest of the day. I don't even care. I'm just being passive aggressive. And that trait still hasn't left me to this day of being passive aggressive. And uh, 
we, we, we left, we're, we were done playing paintball, and we go home, and you know, you get filthy playing, so I'm going to clean up, and I take my, my sweatshirt off, my hoodie that I was wearing, I take the shirt off underneath, and I start to examine the wound of which I got hurt in this game, the, the, the nightmare that took place in that game, um, and paintballs have this funny trait. They leave uh, a welt, a wound, depending on how close the person is that shot you, or the rate at which they're shooting the paintball, right? Um, and this one was very close and very fast, and so it left a, a purple circle dead in my chest, right in the middle of my chest. And it kind of scarred for a while and it remained for a while. And I remember being so upset because it looked as if I had gained a pectoral. (laughs) It looked as if I had gained, and I feel like I can say this because the the worship team told me to say this, Pastor Chach is accountable for this. It, It rhymes with the word ripple. It looked like I had gained that. And what happened is it scarred for a while, and so I was given an appropriate nickname, Third Ripple. And that followed me for a while, and so not only was I physically hurt, but I was emotionally scarred as well from the trauma of kids that take place when they bully you over having a third ripple. And so... The the, the point of that is to say that thank the Lord, skin heals over time, and I've been physically restored, and Thank the Lord I have moved since then, so my emotional state has been redeemed and restored as well, and that reputation no longer follows me because we didn't have Facebook or social media, praise Jesus. Um, And it's been restored. And I love that idea of restoration because as a culture, we are completely enamored with restoration. We are completely in love with restoration. We, we love restoration. We will go and pay $80 to get two movie tickets and a small popcorn at Palladium to see a good movie about restoration. And when the, the story, the climax, isn't restored or resolved in the way we want it, there's a longing that we feel like we missed out on, like a cliffhanger, right? We'll go and watch on the Discovery Channel a TV show where guys will literally go and take other people's junk and restore it to make a profit, and it's a very popular TV show. We love restoration. We have a nostalgia complex as a culture where things were way better in my day. Things were so much better back then, but if we went back then, it would probably be worse, right? But we don't see it that way because we have this complex. We love restoration and wanting to bring things back. Even, even in one of the most politically dividing times and conflicting times in this past presidential election, the man that won and was elected president won on a campaign of promised restoration. Make America great again. He won. We love restoration. It's a good thing to love. When it's done in the appropriate way and in the right context and through the right means, restoration is a beautiful thing. And I think all of us in here today can attest, attest to some form of restoration taking place. As a church, it's one of our two pillars that we lean on as for our mission, right? Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to find and restore. That's our, that is our mission. Our vision is going to change according to that mission, but the mission is going to remain those two things, finding and restoring. It's a beautiful thing. It's close to God's heart as well, restoring people. Pastor Jason laid the the groundworks last week for this series we started called Restore, and he spoke on the God that we we serve, the the restoring God we serve, the creator, really shifted our focus back to him, right? Back to who he is, what he's doing, what he's about, and laid the the foundation for the series. And this week, I want to talk about restoring people, restoring people can seem like a very lofty, abstract reality. 
a lofty kind of assumption that's just out there that is hard to make applicable in our daily lives. But I want to break it down into two things and look at a text in scriptures that I think can help us apply this into our life. Because if we just come to church and don't leave or do anything, what was the point, right? So I want to break it down into two things. Restoring people, restoring people's perspective, and restoring people's position. Restoring people's perspective and restoring people's position. God, thank you for meeting us here today. Thank you for choosing to meet with us here in this place, God. That you were not forced or coerced into being here, God, but you chose to meet with your people. And would we not take that lightly to receive what you have for us, God? We want your words. We want your thoughts. We want to, to the actions that you would have us lead out in, God. So speak now. We're ready. It's found in John 12, verses 12 through 15, the text we're going to be studying today. It's short and sweet. It says, The next day a great multitude had come to the feast. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The first part we're going to look at today is restoring people's perspective. Restoring perspective. I love this text because I love what the people in Jerusalem cry out when they go to meet Jesus. Hosanna! Hosanna! A churchy, Christianese term we often hear about. We sing Hosanna in the highest, but what it really means is just Savior. To save. Save us. And I love that humble acknowledgement of who they're crying out to, and in the same way, their admittance of who they are. And they cry out, Savior. They're crying out for the Messiah, but also their need of saving. You know people are in need of saving. People are in need of saving, right? People, and when I say people, don't make it your neighbor or something like that. You and I are in need of saving. You see, when God set everything up, it was perfect. In the Garden of Eden, when he was done creating and he gave commission to the, the dominion to Adam and Eve to rule over the earth, everything was perfect and he set everything up for us to succeed. Remember, he, he, set, he allowed us to eat from the fruit of any tree that we found except for one. The fruit that comes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The odds were stacked in our favor to succeed. So I don't want you to get twisted that we have a malicious God who set us up for failure. We made the mistake. And you and I would have made the same mistake Adam and Eve did. And so when we ate from the fruit of the tree that came from the knowledge of good and evil, because God gave us a choice, because when there's love, there has to be a choice. If there isn't a choice, is that really love or is that just abuse? And so we chose to disobey God and in that way rebel against God. And in that rebellion, the, the other term we see for that that means rebel is sin. We sinned against God. And when we sinned, we allowed for death. We allowed for disease, sorrow, pain, depression. We allowed for all of this to come into the world God gave us dominion over. And God is a just God and a perfect God. And he has a standard and a laws that he has to uphold. And so the, the punishment for sin is death. And not just a physical death, but because we were set apart from him at that time, we were separated because of our sin. We were going to be cursed to go to a very real place called hell because of our mistake. But God, even in Genesis 3, we hear the whispers. 
we hear the, the, the beginning prophecy of this Messiah that would come to save and redeem us. This one that would come from Eve, who would crush the head of the serpent at the same time being struck by the serpent. This Messiah who symbolically through the Old Testament is mentioned, foreshadowed, and prophesied about from the bloodline that made this mistake. This Savior, the main character of all of eternity, this Jesus we see sitting on this donkey. Part of God's plan of restoring us because we had separated ourselves from him. We see him entering into Jerusalem, following the call God had laid out for him to pursue. This Savior, this Messiah, this Hosanna that we cry out to, Jesus. And I feel like I've got to break it to some people today that your money is not going to be your Savior. Making your bank account look like a telephone number won't save you. It won't. Your money's not going to save you. Your your home isn't going to save you as beautiful as it is. Your family can't save you. The spouse you choose to marry can't save you. Your kids and what sports they play and where they go and what college they attend and how they graduate in that college won't save you. Your reputation can't save you. The cars you drive, the vacations you take, the feelings you pursue with substance or otherwise can't save you because your savior isn't a thing or a place or a feeling. Your savior has a name and he was born of immaculate conception from a virgin named Mary in a town called Bethlehem in obscurity that you can't even find that town on a map today. This Jesus of Nazareth that we cry out to It's Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the anointed one, the very one right now that as you inhale and exhale, whether you know it or not, you're calling upon his name. This Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. And it's until we gain that perspective that he is our only Savior. No thing, no person, no feeling could save us like Jesus can. No one can fill that that hole, that void that we have, that, that place that was meant for his relationship, for his Holy Spirit. Until we gain that perspective, we're going to miss it. And we're going to build our future on faulted idols. We're going to dress up our lives as immaculate tombs disguised as mansions. But there will be no life inside. It's only when we have Jesus. It's only when we have Jesus that there is hope, there is joy, there is life. He's the only one that can offer the fulfillment that you and I need, that you and I crave for, that our culture craves for, that our world craves for. And so often, people's perspective is shifted away from God and we're steered away from God and we're separated from God because of what takes place in the church. And can I just be honest for a moment? So many times people are hurt by the church, felt burned by the church because of what people like me are doing right now, preaching and pastoring. And they look down at people on their platforms. And even when they get off the platform, they look down at people still. And they don't preach relationship. We preach religion, right? They just preach do more, work harder. And they treat what the church is meant to be as the bride of Christ like a club to earn to get into when it's meant for authentic relationship with Jesus. It is not meant to be a cathedral to look at beautiful people inside and out, right? It's meant to be, as Pastor Jason says, a hospital for broken people who are in need of a Savior. So I'm sorry if that's you. I genuinely mean that. Let me be the face of that today and wear that. Forgive me 
if you've been hurt by the church, if you felt burned by the church, if you felt left out by the church, I'm sorry. To the man who feels like he can't in humility come before Jesus and be on his knees, both emotionally and physically, I am sorry that you feel like you can't do that. And if the church has played any role in that, forgive me. For the woman who can't trust and feels like there's no real authenticity in the church, forgive me for laying the groundwork of that as the church. I am sorry. But don't let people distract you from the Father. Don't let people get in the way of who the Father is. Let the Father be the Father to you. Don't let people twist the Father into their own box or conception of idea of who their Jesus is and try to feed you a twisted perspective. That's not what Jesus wanted. Jesus came for authenticity and reality and relationship. And he even overturned what religion looked like in his day. And he said, the least shall be greatest and the last shall be first. He came to serve and not to be served. In the same way in the church, it's what we need. So if that's you today and you have a perspective where you, you don't see God in the same way that maybe we do, where you don't know why we worship or who we're worshiping and you don't have that relationship with him, I would challenge you for the next few moments to begin to ask yourself why. Ask God, are you real? Have you been in my life? And if so, show me. And actually open yourself up and see if the Lord brings anything into light and see what he'll do the remainder of our time. We need to have that perspective to see God as our savior. And when I say we, I don't just mean the unchurched people. I mean even those who are in here who've trusted in the name of Jesus because I cannot love my wife the way Jesus wants me to apart from him. I can't. I can't love people the way Jesus wants me to apart from his Holy Spirit. As good as I may try, there will be some ego or pride involved in it at some level. I need the Holy Spirit to show me how to love, how to lead, how to be patient and compassionate and have humility. Because apart from Him, I'm pretty terrible. I'm pretty wicked apart from Jesus. And I may try and strive and do and work, but Scripture says it's counted all as dirty rags apart from His relationship. So we need Jesus, and our perspective has to see him as our Savior, day in, day out. I need Jesus every day. I need more of Jesus every day. I need this relationship so that I can pursue what he's got for me. Because the world is going to try to feed me a false calling and a false purpose, but it's with Jesus that he gives you everything you need. And when we restore our perspective, I love what God always does. When we, when we call out for Savior, Hosanna, wherever we are, I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care who you are, your sexual orientation, the things you've pursued, the things you've looked at, the things you've participated in. When we call out in the name of Jesus and say, God, I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that you are Lord. Do you know what he always does? He always calls back. And he won't leave you in that place because God loves you too much to let you be complacent. He will begin to change and, and transform you into an image more like himself and begin to redeem and restore the sin struggles that you and I have. And he'll begin to shape us into more, an image more like him. But he always calls back when we call out for saving. And he calls back my son, my daughter, family. Jesus calls us co-heirs. We earn the reward that Jesus got. We earn the reward that Jesus deserved. 
How scandalous is that? How unfair is that? That we would get what Jesus earned, though we made the mistake. Though we would get salvation that he could only pay the price for. When we restore our perspective, he restores our position. And you may be asking yourself like, okay, I, I get it, but Tim, you're a professional Christian. You're paid to be a Christian. Like, I get it. Like, you don't understand my life though. You don't understand my workplace. You don't understand my family. It's hard enough trying to just sit down and have a meal together, let alone pursue Christ all together. Like, you, you don't understand what I've been through, what I've walked through, who I am, what I've seen. You just don't understand. And to you, I would say, I don't understand. I don't. And if you've trusted in the name of Jesus, I'm trusting that he's restoring in you because God didn't just restore us to look restored and be restored. He restored us to continue in part of the restoration of others. He restored us for restoring. And so as we go out, wherever God has called you to be, in your workplace, your family, your, wherever, your community, you have a task at hand if you trust in the name of Jesus. It's to restore others and aid in the restoration. And you may ask, how do I do that? Like, I understood you did the alliteration thing, people's perspectives and people's position. That's cool, but how do I do it? Can I offer one encouragement, please? If you leave with one thing, please leave with this. Be a donkey. Become a donkey. Become a donkey. And I don't mean that in the context that Gordon Ramsay means it when he's talking to his kitchen assistants. I mean that in the context of this story. Become that donkey that carried Jesus into the city. Become a carrier of his presence wherever you go. Be that donkey. The donkey wasn't steering Jesus to Jerusalem. Jesus was steering the donkey. I wonder what it would look like as the church if we woke up every day and said, God, how do you want to use me today? Where do you want me to go today? How can I encourage my family today? God, how can, I, how can I love people well today? And instead of us as the donkey trying to steer Jesus and fit him into our own box and make him bless us with everything, what if we just said in humility, God, how do you want to use me today? How do you want to use me today? And we love well. We show compassion well. We give patience. We offer hope. We offer encouragement. We give solace and we speak peace over people who are in a peaceless situation or a hopeless situation. And we give and we give and we give. And you know when it matters most to give? When you least have it. Because that's when you have to rely on the Holy Spirit inside of you. Like Paul where he boasts in his weakness the same way when we don't have any more love to give. God, I need you to give me some more so that I can love them well and show them who you are to a better extent. And we don't do it for our glory. We don't do it to look good for ourselves. We don't do it to, to make our reputation better. These things will come when we honor the Lord because he honors back, but that's not the intent to make us look better. How foolish would it be for the donkey when they're calling out king of Israel? Messiah, Hosanna, here comes the king. How foolish would it be for the donkey to think they were talking to him? They weren't talking to the donkey. They were talking to the one the donkey was carrying. And in the same way, when people see hope in you and they know your situation, people see peace in you and they know what your family's walking through, and people see love and joy in you and they know what you're walking through in that season, 
you don't say that's of you. That's from the Lord. That's Jesus inside of you, alive and active, restoring and showing others as a testimony of his goodness to what he can do for them as well. I love Ascend Camp. Ascend Camp's awesome. We are, uh, for the first year ever, we are capped out for Ascend Camp. That is incredible. Four years of Ascend, four years. Four years doing Ascend Camp. That is awesome. We have over 350 um, small group leaders and students going to camp, going to Colorado with us. It's awesome. And I love, here's what I love about Ascend Camp is the Lord so tangibly moves through students' lives and everything, but he doesn't just move through students' lives, but he moves through small group leaders and even the staff that go. He, he speaks to me every single year in such an incredible way, and it's such an incredible experience to go to camp and to get on a bus back and be invigorated and rejuvenated. That's unheard of, Right? The Lord is alive and moving at camp. Um, and I remember last year, the time the Lord spoke most clearly to me involved a wall. And we were, um, it, it was uh, this camp we go to called Ponderosa. It has an incredible recreation and low ropes and high ropes course set up and everything. And the culmination, the final thing for the low ropes course is this big wall. It's a big 12 to 15 foot wall. And so middle school would do it, high school would do it. Um, and it was with middle school that I was hanging out with and, and we were watching all the middle schoolers do it. And so we get to this final thing and the guy leading Rex says, okay, for anyone that wants to do this, this is the final step to completing the low ropes course, right? The final step, get everyone over the wall. There's no rope hanging down from the wall. There's no stairs leading up to the wall. There's no ladder leaning against the wall. It's just the people around you get over the wall. And I think I've got a quick video to give you a little context as to what it looks like, this wall. Um, there's no sound, and it shot on an iPhone 7, so no judgment. I would also highlight this. No kids fell or hurt themselves off the wall, so if you're a parent concerned, no, we have a 100% success rate on the wall. But it's pretty intimidating looking at it and just being like, okay, I've got to get up that. And that's it, just a little context for you. Um, but this wall, it's pretty... It's intimidating. And there, like I said, there's nothing to get you over that, no tool to use but the people around you. And it was a challenge offered to us to get everyone over the wall. And so immediately the eighth grade guys, like the boys are just ready. Like the bros are just ready to go for it. And they're wearing t-shirts and they rip their sleeves off, right? And they start like growling and they're like chugging protein and eating steaks. I'm just kidding. Didn't happen. But they're like ready to go. And so they like start throwing themselves up the wall. Like they're like throwing each other up the wall and they're getting up. And it's just so fun to watch all the students, you know, work together and get over the wall. And um, as I was watching this, I kind of look on the outskirts of the group, and I see one student who was not involved, um, and she's a very special student to Madison and I. And I know as youth pastors, we're not supposed to have favorites, but she's just special. And this entire eighth grade group that we have is just really special. Um, and this, this, this student is an influencer. She's a student leader. People are drawn to her because she has charisma, and she shows the love of the Lord so well. And so when I see her on the outskirts, I'm wondering what's going on. Why aren't, you, why aren't you being a part of this, right? And so I walk over to her, and I'm not going to name any names, but I go up to her and I go, Jilly, what are you doing over here? Why are you just hanging out over here? And she's like, eh, I don't want to be a part of it. I'm okay. And I'm like, okay, heard a no. There's some students where you hear one no, and it's like, that's 99% of them. I'm not going to push the issue, right? Because then I'll get a phone call from some parents, and they're trying to sue me because their kid had a mental breakdown and all of this stuff. But this student, I know her family. She's a student leader. She leads really well, so I'm going to push the issue a little bit. And I start talking to her some more. I'm like, Jilly, you can do the wall. You're going to do the wall, right? And I start to, like, reposition myself and put my arm around her shoulder and, like, slowly, like, push her towards the wall, right? Like, slide. I'm like, you can do the wall. And she's like, eh, I'm not going to do the wall. Eh, don't want to do the wall. Not going to do it. 
No, I can't do it. And I keep pushing the issue. And I, I continue to press. And as I continue to press, we get to the root of it. And she's afraid. She's scared of doing the wash. She's intimidated by doing it in front of so many people and what could be a failure in front of so many people. So as we continue to do it, her verbiage changes from, I'm not going to do the wall to, I can't do the wall. And that breaks my heart because I can very clearly see that, yes, you can do the wall, but you don't see it in yourself. You can do it. As we get closer and closer, she starts to tear up, and I get to the final one and the final pressing point, and I'm like, she's starting to tear up, and I'm not going to press it anymore. I say, it's your choice. Do you want to do the wall? Do you want to do the wall? It's your call. I'm not going to make the decision for you or force you into it. That's not appropriate. Do you want to do the wall? And she looks at me with tears in her eyes, and she says, okay, I'll do the wall, but only if you push me up. And it was in that moment that I looked down at her and I go, I'm like crying at this point. I'm like, of course, of course I'll push you up. Of course I'll hold you up. Of course I'll go with you. Let's do it. And so I put my arm around her and there's like a big mass of kids. And I'm like, get out of the way, like moving kids out of the way. Like there's a guy who's thinking he's up next. No, you're not. You're not up next. And Jilly's coming up and the eighth graders are about ready to push Jilly up. And they're like, we got you, Jilly. And Jilly's like, no, you don't. Tim's got me. And so we're moving people out of the way. And I stoop down and I put my hands so that she can put her feet in my hands. And she's tiny, so it's easy lifting her up. And I lift her up and I hold her up as high as I can. And the people grab her from the top and they pull her up and they grab her feet and they pull her over. I can't see her for a moment. So I go around the corner and I can't see her. So I'm wondering, I know she's tiny. Did the guys like throw her a mile down the way? Did she just like fall off? What's going on? And, and no, not a moment later, she doesn't stand up. She jumps up and she basically like runs down the ladder on the backside and gets to the ground and she starts screaming excitedly and freaking out. And she's like, I did it. You guys can all do it too. And she goes to her friends that were on the outskirts and she's like, and you can do it and you can do it and you can do it and you let's do it. We're all doing the wall and starts like dragging them to the wall. And it was in that moment that I got the revelation. That as someone who pastors, and I don't mean that as a, a job title from a church or an ordination, but as someone who walks beside other people and values other people and says, I'm with you. That as the church in that moment, that's exactly what we do. We lower ourselves so that people can use us to be elevated and have the possibility at seeing Jesus better. We lower ourselves and say, do it. Put your dirty shoes in my hand. I'll lift you up so that you might have the chance of seeing Jesus better. And I will elevate you and lower myself. And I want you to stand on my shoulders. I don't want to lord over you and have you be crippled by my power complex or whatever it is. But you can use my back when you're tired because I will be here for you. And as those of us that have trusted in Jesus, that is exactly what we do for other people. We walk with other people. We show them Jesus through our actions, through our words, through our testimony. And when they get tired and they can't walk themselves, sometimes you've got to drag them with you into his presence. You've got to carry them and say, use my back if you have to. And in that way, you are bridging the gap between where Jesus is and where people are separated from him. You are bridging that gap. And do you know what a bridge does? It gets walked on. It 
it gets used. A bridge gets dirty. A bridge holds the weight of other people. It holds other people's hopes, other people's dreams. It holds them up. It holds other people of high value above yourself. And it gets beat down and tired. I know it. I know a lot of you serve. And it must be tiring at times. But can I offer an encouragement? Hey, mom or dad in here that gets really tired of their kids when they push you to the edge? Can I offer you a word of encouragement? Keep on going. Let them walk on you. Because if they can see Jesus a little bit better because they used you, isn't that worth it? They might know that they've hurt you or stepped on you. They might not know that. And the world, we can't expect the world to live like Christians. We can't expect the world to have values that we hold high because they don't know the Jesus we serve. So why are we trying to force them to do what they don't know? Show them Jesus. Let them use you to see Jesus. And in that way, we begin to restore perspective. And when perspective is restored, position is restored. That's how we change. I've never met someone come to Jesus because of a Facebook status or an Instagram caption. I've met people who've come to Jesus because there's a person in here who said, come hell or high water, I'm walking with you. I don't care what you walk through, I'm for you. And when no one else is gonna love you, I'm gonna show the Father's love to you. I'm gonna show the Father's love to you, especially when I don't have it to give because I'm gonna rely on His Holy Spirit. And in that way, we bridge the gap. How might the Lord be wanting to use you? Maybe for you, again, you don't know Jesus yet and we're so glad you're here. We love having you here. Again, I would ask you, is it worth shifting your perspective? Are you constantly trying to fill a void and it's not being filled? Try Jesus. Try having a relationship with him. And for those of us that are churched and have a relationship with Jesus and we're filled by the Holy Spirit, does the world know it? Do they see the Holy Spirit in you? Or are we just gathered in a church to look good for others? not going out to be used as a bridge to get walked on to be used as a donkey led by Jesus to steer us in the right direction where are you so we're going to sing a response song and here's what I, I want I want the challenge to be again for those of you that may need to shift your perspective I just want you guys to hold tight and keep asking the Lord to show himself and reveal himself to you authentically but for those of us that are having relationships with Jesus that have relationships with him and are filled by his Holy Spirit Here's the challenge I'm going to lay for you. Would you symbolically, as a a, a physical action of the emotional uh, decision you've made with your faith that you are going to go outside of these four walls and love the community, the city, the family, the people that you come in contact to well and lower yourself and elevate them, would you take a step forward and come up to the altar as we sing? If that's you, would you do that? And don't wait, you can come up now. And we don't need a ton of people to come up to make ourselves feel good. I want it to be an authentic decision for you. If that's you, and as we sing, would you come forward if that's you? But don't let it be just a song that we sing at the end of service, the lyrics we read off of the screen or the talented band that leads us, but let this actually be your desire. 
to see your family moved, to see your city moved, to see your community moved. Because Jesus paid that ultimate price. You remember earlier, the penalty for sin is death. Well, the God we serve paid that price. Jesus bore the cross we deserved. He lived a sinless life so he could be the perfect sacrifice. And when he died, he atoned for our sins, covered our mistakes. You and mine. Yours and mine. But he proved he was who he said he was and did what he said he did by raising from the grave three days later. And when he ascended into heaven, he gave all of his believers the opportunity to receive his Holy Spirit. He laid down his life to be a bridge. Don't you think it's worth it to do the same for us, for others? Don't you think it's worth it for us to do the same for others in that way? So God, have your way. We want you, Jesus. We just need you, Jesus. We don't need anything else. We don't need a feeling. We don't need to chase a substance. We just need you, Jesus. So would you in this moment begin to call forth purpose and calling? For those that haven't had their perspective shifted on you, would you begin to make yourself real to them? For those that have relationship with you, God, would you begin to call forth the places that you're leading us to, Jesus, so that we might advance your kingdom and extend your family, God?